You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Facebook begins facing the congressional music today. What are the rules for online research, professors? Experts say they're worried about weaponized IoT hacks. Hoods exploiting Cisco switch vulnerabilities and unpatched systems. Named threat groups and bugs as insider misdirection. As relations between Russia and the West worsen, some in Moscow call an end to Peter the Great's experiment. Verizon's annual data breach investigation report came out today. We'll talk to one of the report's authors. And how much do cybercriminals make? And what do they spend it on? From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, April 10th, 2018. As Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg appears on Capitol Hill to testify about a range of topics, mostly related to the privacy concerns surrounding his company's platform, another quasi-research organization, CubeU, is said to have scooped up users' data by inducing them to take various quizzes. CubeU is a market research firm, of course, and quizzes and surveys have long been used to collect information destined to be used for marketing. Some other research projects that have drawn adverse attention and comment, however, have been more academic in nature. We've got a question for university research review boards. Has this sort of issue surfaced in the course of human subjects' research reviews? And how do research review boards handle them? It's easy to think of these boards as confined to biomedical research, but behavioral and social scientific studies are also often submitted for consideration. And how's that working out? Verizon published the 2018 version of their Data Breach Investigation Report today, one of the most anticipated and respected cybersecurity reports. Gabriel Bassett is a senior information security data scientist at Verizon and one of the authors of this year's DBIR. He joins us to share the results. We've always seen large attacks using social actions, things like phishing or pretexting. But this year we saw concerted attempts to get tax information, the US W-2 information. And I think that's a substantial trend. It's really interesting because I like to think about the attackers as always looking for the best value proposition. They're shopping around. Hmm. And when we see a new attack, it's I kind of see it as the attackers having found a better deal. And so when we see something like theft of tax information, W-2 theft come up, it's like the attackers have found this new better deal. 
And it makes sense, right? Because now when they send a phishing email, they're not just stealing one person's data. They're stealing a whole bunch of people's. And then they can use that to go and commit uh, tax fraud on an entire slew of people at the same time. Another trend that we saw rise substantially was ransomware. Ransomware breaches doubled again year over year. And, And that makes sense. There's more and more people getting in this game. And I think the reason that attackers are jumping onto this is, again, it's a good value proposition for the attacker. It's low risk. You know, it's not like physically stealing a laptop where you have to physically be near your target. Um, you can target people all over. And then once you've targeted them, it's really easy to monetize, right? With the um, incorporation of uh, cryptocurrencies, it's very easy to get paid no matter where you are in the world. It used to be that the cryptography was the hard part of the um, equation, but now attackers can simply purchase or lease out that portion of the attack chain. And that gives them the opportunity to make this a very easy and quick attack. The the hardest part now is really the customer service, right? They have to be able to educate people who are probably otherwise unaware of how to use Bitcoin or decrypt systems on just how to use their tools. One of the things the report points out is that the human factor is still critical. You had some interesting statistics when it came to phishing. Yeah, I think some of our statistics around... Uh, social attacks and phishing were really interesting, um, especially from our non-incident data, because in addition to the half a million security incidents we have, and when we say incidents, we mean a compromise of confidentiality, integrity, or availability, not like a, an alert on your SIM. So we have half a million uh, incidents, but we also analyzed half a billion records of non-incident data. And that would be things like malware or phishing tests or such. of people don't click a single phishing email all year, or at least phishing testing, right? Mm -hmm. And so a good portion of your company is doing a great job. Um, On the other hand, in any given test, the median is for 4% of the people that are tested to click. And one of the things we found analyzing data is that um, the more times someone clicks, the more times they're likely to click in the future. And so if you have someone that clicks five times, they're more likely to click six times. If they click 10 times, they're more likely to click 11 or 12. And that means that you can go and find who the people in your organization are that are likely to click phishing emails. And that's great news, right? Because now you know where to look for the threat. And it's not because these people are in some way worse at security. There's a lot of people in our companies that have to open attachments from people that they don't know as part of their job. So if you're in the legal department and someone sends you a PDF and says it's important to your job, you have to open that. If you're in the marketing, the PR department, and someone sends you a PDF, whether or not you know the sender, you need to open that attachment. You know, it's not that they are necessarily making bad choices, but they're trying to do their job in the context of security. And so find those people and say, look, you know, do they really need a full computer? Are they, for me as the data scientist, I've got all this data science software. But, you know, they're probably using kind of the standard office applications, you know, and web browsing uh, tools. And so they do fine with just a sandbox operating system, a sandbox Windows system or an iPad or a Chromebook. Would they be happy with that? And then you get the benefit of security and they get the happiness about this nice streamlined system. When you look at this year's report, is there any good news? Is there any areas where we're gaining on the problem? It's like two different questions there, right? There's, there's, is there any good news? And is there, are we gaining on the problem? Like, is it improving? Because there's mm-hmm. certainly good news. Like, a very small number of the breaches in our corpus are ever related to um, vulnerabilities. 
rather than take that to mean that, that somehow vulnerabilities are unimportant, I like to think of that, that we're doing a good job of fixing vulnerabilities. And there's always going to be these kind of shotgun type attacks, you know, when a new CMS uh, content management system, a vulnerability comes out and there's the majority of people patch and some don't. For those of us that care about security, I think we're probably doing a good job and we're, we need to keep up doing what we're doing when it comes to vulnerabilities. Another area of improvement is in malware. The median amount of malware on an organization's worst day in the data that we got was seven pieces of malware on the worst day of the entire year. They got seven pieces of malware. And so organizations don't necessarily need to sit and think, oh my gosh, you know, malware is going to just be hitting me and hitting me and hitting me. It's like, even on the worst day, it's for most companies, the, the median company, it's not a whole lot. Most companies only have six or fewer days uh, per year where they even receive any malware. Only less than 2% of companies receive malware even half the days of the year. A lot of these problems, we have a tendency in security to look at the worst case, look at the terabit attack, look at the thousands of malware a day. But that doesn't represent the median company. The median company, for the median company, the problem is, I think, within that realm where we can handle it. That's Gabriel Bassett from Verizon. The 2018 Data Breach Investigations Report is available on the Verizon Enterprise website. There's growing alarm over ongoing exploitation of insecure Internet of Things devices. They've been deployed for years. Experts are concerned that neither policies nor the devices themselves are ready for threats that appear poised to weaponize IoT vulnerabilities and cause kinetic effects. Others warn that industrial control systems present distinctive problems. They may have vulnerabilities that render them susceptible to destruction and to malfunctions that could compromise safety as well as operations. The vulnerabilities in Cisco switches, used by apparent hacktivists to deface Russian and Iranian sites, is now being widely exploited against unpatched systems by Russian hackers, mostly criminals. A high-tech bridge study suggests that the notoriety of named threat actors and well-marketed vulnerabilities is being used as misdirection by malicious insiders interested in covering their tracks, as in, hey boss, it was like that when I walked in. You think it was like that Spectre thing? We lost data? Wow, must have been that fancy bear you've been reading about. Hey boss? Russian President Putin's advisor Vladislav Surkov, Putin's Rasputin, sees 2018 as marking the end of Russia's attempts to turn westward, terminating aspirations that go back to Tsar Peter the Great. U.S. intelligence community insiders differ over whether the U.S. actually has the political will to punish Russia for misbehavior in cyberspace and elsewhere. Whether economic sanctions announced last week are hurting Moscow or not, they're being felt in London, where the city is nervous about disruption to Russian investment. Many millions have found their way into London's financial exchanges, and for that matter, real estate markets. If the oligarchs flee back to Russia, what becomes of those markets? And finally, what do cybercriminals actually do with the money they collect? It seems, according to a report by Bromium, that they spend their ill-gotten but untaxed gains on the kinds of things regular working stiffs and suits do, paying bills, buying gifts, purchasing disposable diapers, reinvesting in the business, and diversifying into stocks, bonds, and real estate. Bromium estimates that criminal big shots pull in up to $2 million a year, good CEO wages, middle management can make up to $900 million, entry-level hackers make around 42000 
which, come to think of it, is better than a lot of journalists with some years under their belt. But kids don't turn to crime. In the long run, it doesn't really pay. Bromium says they'll have more on this at RSA, but hey, how do they know? Who are you talking to, Bromium? Hmm. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Daniel Prince. He's a senior lecturer in cybersecurity at Lancaster University. Daniel, welcome back. Um, We wanted to talk today about clandestine data transmission um, and things like network steganography, how people are sort of hiding data in plain sight. What do we need to know about this? Well, this is an area that's really close to my heart, uh, having sort of grown up in my research career looking at uh, network uh, network protocols and, and uh, sort of how you construct networks. And it um, started to occur to me that as the, the protocols that we're using and the systems we're using in networking are getting more and more complex, the opportunities for uh, people to utilize uh, that complexity to hide information is increasing. And so what I'm starting to look at now is how can we actually use things like the complexity inside the IPv6 protocol or the complexity that, that, that is enabled through software-defined networking as a mechanism to exfiltrate or send data in a clandestine way between two parties with a view that if we can get ahead and start to think about these, we can create uh, classifications and then mitigation approaches so that if... Uh, the bad guys further down the line start to uh, develop similar tools, we've already got approaches that we will think that we can uh, use to to disrupt that activity. Uh, And so we're not starting from scratch. It's really interesting the ways in which we can hide data quite robustly within 
the technology here at Lancaster there's been a previous piece of work that looks at this so that we, we did and we published and that can be found on the web but the other thing that I'm really interested in is the different rates at which we want to transmit information and the different uses. When you think about something like a command and control infrastructure for a botnet, that's not necessarily going to be very high bit rate. You just need to send small amounts of information to activate certain activities of the bots within the command and control infrastructure. But then if you want to wrap that up to maybe IP uh, stealing and exfiltration from from a network, you might need uh, incredibly high data rates over a, a, a very short amount of time to be able to get that data out. So it's not a kind of a one-dimensional problem. You know, some techniques that are, are very easy to hide are very low bit rates, so you wouldn't use that for data large volumes of data exfiltration. Uh, potentially, uh, whereas you might need to develop uh, high data rate techniques. So that's that's the broad area that I'm I'm very interested in. And where are we in terms of the ability to sniff out this sort of thing these days? So we, obviously we've got a, a lot of tools and techniques out there that, uh, that are intrusion detection systems that will pick up a lot of this uh, type of, uh, the, the few of these types of techniques. And certainly a lot of the older type of techniques, such as hiding data within ICMP messages, for example, are easily detected and, and well, well known. But uh, the, the advent of cryptographic techniques makes it harder to actually analyze the, the data. Where I'm interested is actually can we develop tools and techniques which allow us to transmit information within effectively what is legitimate traffic. So even if we have uh, the best uh, tools and techniques out there to be able to spot this, the fact that it's legitimate traffic means it just makes it that, that much more harder. So one example of this could be sending messages to a range of IP addresses and uh, underneath the, the control of uh, a bad guy. And the reception of those messages to those particular IP addresses would indicate a, a data exchange. But the messages that they are sending are just fetching legitimate web pages. Mm. Um, and it's the ability to be able to chain that together and multiplex that, which can be really useful. And what we're seeing is now... Uh, you know, a lot of machine learning AI techniques to, to being developed to drive anomaly detection within network traffic. But uh, equally, uh, you know, it's entirely possible to use machine learning and AI to drive the other end, to, to, to do the pattern matching that is required in those complex cases of how do you uh, align multiple IP addresses in a, a network communication which could send messages out of order and all these types of things to enable that data exfiltration. So it's really interesting to see the potential use of these next generation techniques such as AI and machine learning on both sides of, uh, of the, the, the attacker equation. Daniel Prince, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.